Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Goh. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Uh, Today may be a a little bit of a briefer episode, Uh, not as much brewer news uh, or things going on for the brewers right now. Haven't really entered off-season mode, um, and of course, Brewers being eliminated a while ago by the Dodgers, who are in the World Series, uh, facing off against the Rays, which has turned out to be a, a pretty exciting series. Game four uh, was a great game, uh, just good baseball game all around. Kind of a weird ending, or actually not kind of, a very weird ending, but a fun one too, uh, especially if you're a Rays fan, even as a Brewer fan, Brett Phillips with that big hit, uh, 0-2 fastball, uh, and Kenley Jansen on Brett Phillips, who... I think I saw it was his second at-bat since, like, middle of September or something like that. Um, so Phillips, yeah, hasn't had a lot of playing time and came in as a pinch runner, ended up coming to the plate in a big spot. Rays didn't have any other good options, and so they left him there. Bloop single, as he's, most of you probably already saw. Uh, Dodgers threw it to the plate. Had a Rosarena dead at the plate, but Will Smith uh, missed a pretty routine ball and uh, a Rosarena coming around to score, and the, the Rays walked off game four. Um, which also even up the series has a big deal too. Two uh, one series lead for the Dodgers going into that game. Of course, if the Dodgers take that one, effectively the series is over. But Rays able to take Game Four, evening it up, and then Dodgers uh, following that up with a win in Game Five, four to two. So Dodgers will be looking to close out the series in Game Six against the Rays. But the Rays have put up a, a big battle. I've done a bunch of talking. So David, your thoughts uh, so far? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that game four play. Uh, you look at you you watch that last play, and just from a pure like baseball side of things, um, it was the Dodgers lost that game for themselves at in that last play. Uh, single, okay, it, he didn't hit it that well, but you don't fault uh, fault Jansen for I mean inducing the weak contact. Yeah, but it got through. You know right. that, that's how it's going to go sometimes. Chris Taylor came up, basically tried to throw the ball before he fielded it. Yep. What happens? Goes off his glove, runs over. Will Smith tries to tag him out before he before he gets the ball, and he also wasn't aware that a Rosarena was pretty far away from home plate. As a catcher, you should be kind of monitoring how close he is, um, so you can see that. And then I thought the big thing, Kenley Jansen, where is he standing? Yep, down the third baseline, just in the middle of the third baseline, casually sitting there. He he put his head down right after he allowed the hit. He was clearly upset, and I think that also is partly because Jansen had a bad year. Jansen's velo fell some. He hadn't been quite as effective. Uh, he's he's been a little bit better this postseason, but I think he's also kind of feeling the pressure of, am I still the guy? Am I am I mm-hmm. the Kenley Jansen, mm-hmm. uh, who was one of the best relievers in baseball for probably a good six seven years, right. and that as a result he he fails to back up home plate. He would have been more towards the third base side. Um, the ball squirted out towards the first base side, so we don't know if he would have gotten there in time. But it certainly would have been a much closer play once the ball once the ball came out of Smith's glove. There was no play, and a Rosarena um, was safe at home. That was probably the craziest play that I've seen in a while. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it live. Uh, but still interesting that the, it was really in the Dodgers' hands. Yeah, and I did see that it was the first walk-off error in World Series history as well. It was a really a crazy play. Like you said, Jansen, I mean, 
The Chris Taylor play, yeah, you got to make sure the ball's in your glove first. It's a fundamental play. That type of thing does happen sometimes in those big spots, and same with Will Smith. But Kenley Jansen, you got to be somewhere. Go do something. Go be somewhere. Um, instead, Jansen ends up just standing on the mound. Uh, it, one of my favorite coaches growing up, his favorite term was waffle, waffle butt. In other words, as a pitcher, first off, you should always be somewhere. Uh, nobody's ever going to come running into the pitcher's mound. So you might as well go just be somewhere. Anywhere is better than, than where you are standing on the mound. Uh, but get right up against the fence. And you see it a lot in Major League Baseball where pitchers don't back up plays for whatever reason, whether it's they think they're too good or they, I don't know, they just choose not to or forget. Who knows what it is. But it, it happens a lot. Uh, usually it's, of course, a much minor consequence, this one being a significant one. Like you said, we don't know that they have a play of the plate because Aranzarena was already halfway down or more. So it probably would have been a tough play for Jansen. But you never know. Uh, that one is, to me, inexcusable. you got to be there. The other big takeaway I'd say has been uh, overall the success of Kershaw, especially in this series. He was he was all right in the NLCS. Of course, he dominated the Brewers lineup that was far from a playoff lineup. But Kershaw's looked excellent in his race start. I thought I did think he got pulled a little bit early. Should have at least finished off the sixth inning. Kind of unnecessary for Roberts to take him out with two outs, nobody on for Manuel Margot. But turned in a very nice start. Uh, he he also did in game one and. This was his his second start of the series, so unless he has to make a relief appearance in Game 7, he's done and put the Dodgers in a very good position. They only have to win one of the next two games. They're also the home team, and I know they aren't playing at home, but they are the home team. Could have a very clear advantage, of course. Um, a, a little bit different, because they were going on the road, but Brewers were up 3-2 in, in 1982 and blew it to the Cardinals. Of course, Brewers like to make us think that they won that series. Um, Wait, they they didn't? Yeah. Although, uh, <laughs> if you follow at tweets from 1982 on Twitter, uh, there's um, an individual from the area who actually has been tweeting as if it was from 1982. He programmed all the tweets like to the minute for every day, every game, um, updates of the game, injury stuff. It's kind of insane. He said that he might be, uh, be uh, slightly uh, obsessed with it. But he actually he actually altered the outcome of Game Seven, so I think it was Pete Ladd who blew the game. Um, I'm sure some of our our older listeners would be able to know that off the top of my head what happened. Unfortunately, I was not around during that series, but um, he changed the outcome a little bit. So the the Brewers won the World Series, and then he showed pictures from the parade and talked about as if they had won, um, because That's only in Milwaukee would we celebrate getting second place and continue yeah, to do yeah. so for the next 35 years. Yeah, I guess when you got nothing else to celebrate, that's the best thing you got. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in five years we have like a five-year anniversary team of the time that the Brewers made the playoffs as, as below five hundred team or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, a little bit more exciting than well, get not Jace at all, Peterson back. Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> a number retirement ceremony. You know, probably produce as many yeah. above replacement as Raleigh Fingers in his Brewers career. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, you were mentioning Kershaw. I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but Kershaw, yeah, Kershaw's been good, uh, which is good for his legacy. I, he gets a bad rap, of course, because he did struggle a little bit in the playoffs, but he also actually I think, in Game 5. I think he's been better than just, people realize. He he absolutely has. And and just going to say in Game 5, he just passed Justin Verlander for the most strikeouts in postseason history, which is not a small feat. Uh, granted, strikeouts aren't everything, but 
Kershaw has been good in the playoffs, and people um, seem to remember some bad starts specifically and just choose to kind of hold on to those. And I don't know. It, Kershaw has kind of a mixed bag report as far as his postseason career when really he's been good. Mm-hmm. He also was kind of tasked with carrying the, the Dodgers on his back from the pitching standpoint earlier on in this extended Dodgers run. And I definitely think that that's not the case anymore. They do depend on him, certainly. He's he's their best pitcher yeah. right now, but he's not the guy that you try to ride for seven, eight innings every start on right. three days rest right. coming out in relief on his off days. I think that's kind of unfair expectations that you have for a guy like that. Whereas you look at Verlander, when he was with the Tigers for some of that time, I mean, you got Scherzer behind him. You got, even I think he had David Price Porcello. one year. Yeah, so you have those guys behind yeah. him where you can you can kind of supplement them versus the Dodgers didn't have that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, like you said, earlier in his career. No, not as much. Bueller, of course, uh, being really a formidable ace himself. But yeah, he had a lot a lot more weighing on him. And also, I mean, a lot of those guys played in, in similar years as Kershaw, but you mentioning Kershaw getting pulled after five and two-thirds, two outs, nobody on. I, to, to imagine that happening in 2010 uh, when Kershaw was up for the Dodgers, I mean, that's not going to happen. So that's the other thing, too, um, as far as the way that games are managed as well. Um, yeah, Rod Renneke probably, oh, probably would have let him go the distance at about 160 yeah, pitches. Yeah, probably. <laughs> And and really every manager in 2010 just yeah, about yeah like it's just the way the game was managed and the game the way the game mm-hmm. was played uh, it was considered a, a, almost a respect thing for the starting pitcher so that's just baseball's changed and uh, generally for the better for the the starting pitchers both for their health for their statistics and for the team's pitching staff as a whole uh, but you know actually speaking of that I I realized I forgot to dropped the trivia question at the start of the podcast. We kind of got distracted with the World Series recap. Uh, we have a, a, a non-Brewers-related trivia question today, but a World Series-themed one, given the circumstances, it seemed fitting. Uh, who is the all-time uh, holder of the lowest career postseason ERA? So I guess you have a, you have a little less time to think this time. What is? Do you know what the uh, minimum number of innings is? <laughs> Ooh. That is that is a very valid question. I'm taking a look at the top ten right here, <clears throat> and the lowest in the top ten is 21 innings. Okay, be thinking about that. Apologize, I don't have the exact number on the on the limit, but let's just say around 20 innings okay. is probably about the limit. Uh, but lowest career postseason ERA uh, in baseball. So just be thinking about that. Like I said, we as always we will cover that at the end of the podcast. See if we can stump David on that. Uh, and we will also do our, our random brewer player of the day. We got a good utility man to cover today. So stay tuned for that as well. Uh, I'm kind of doing the introduction now as we were halfway in the podcast, but, uh, anything else you want to add about the, about the world series so far, five games in, uh, I think it's been very entertaining. I, I don't think that there's quite the same buzz around it as normal years, but at the same time, I think that it's been overall a success given the circumstances. Yeah, actually, you mentioned that. I, I saw an ESPN alert that I believe it. I forget if it was Game Three uh, had the lowest was the lowest watched game. Uh, I think it was one actually. Was it game oh, one, one was the lowest since... since the Rays played the Phillies. <clears throat> Three might have been yeah. the lowest uh, within this era because, of course, it was a little bit different. Right, N- right. Nineteen thirty-eight probably weren't as many. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. they used to be all TVs. day games too, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I, which was surprising to me. I mean, the Rays, of course, not a lot of fans, but Dodgers, of course, L.A. 
Um, and yeah, it, like you said, it just seems like the buzz isn't quite there. Maybe it's because NBA play, finals just happened recently and just timing of sports is all off. I don't know because NFL seasons, well, I guess NFL seasons typically here. Um, but regardless, um, it has been a good series, an entertaining one, and hopefully game six and seven, uh, if there is a seven, uh, are competitive and, and just fun fun games to watch. But it's kind of a recap of what's going on in the World Series. Again, of course, Dodgers up now 3-2, to two, looking to close out the series in game six. Uh, switching over to award season, uh, <clears throat> a few awards have been announced, AL and NL Reliever of the Year, as well as Comeback Players of the Year. First, we got to start up with NL Reliever of the Year. Uh, which for the third year in a row, a Brewers reliever has won the award, which really is an impressive feat. Of course, uh, Josh Hader winning the award the previous two seasons. Uh, but this year, uh, Devin Williams, who we have talked about just a few times on the podcast. Uh, if you want to hear more about him, just listen to probably our last three episodes. But Devin Williams winning the NL Reliever of the Year award. Uh, absolutely deserved it. Uh, very happy to hear uh, that he did Received the award, but again, Devin Williams with the NL Reliever of the Year. Your thoughts on that, David? It had it had to be this way. If I mean Jeremy Jeffers was a candidate who actually had a lower fielding independent pitching this year than he did last year when he was released by the Brewers um, during Ouch. the season. Yeah, not good. Um, but he was one of one of Williams was one of three candidates. There was no competition really on the National League side, even if it was an overall Reliever of the Year. The AL recipient was Liam Hendricks, who was also very good, but Williams was, was the best reliever across all of baseball. Well-deserving honor. Um, we've we've talked about him a lot, but he put up outstanding numbers. Um, one of the highest strikeout per nine ratios that we've seen in a long time. Also only allowed, I think, one home run all year. Well, he did only allow one home run all year because he only allowed one run all year. So uh, it was a solo yeah. shot. Which, is yeah, which is insane. just ridiculous. It, that's insane. That, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 0.86 fielding independent pitching, 1.4 wins above replacement, which led all major league relievers. Well-deserved honor to Devin Williams and really saw it coming out of nowhere. You know, you, yeah, you, absolutely. You didn't see it coming. Yeah. And uh, a, a, a big a big award and hopefully the first of two major awards for Devin Williams. We'll see. They'll be releasing the candidates for rookie of the year soon after the world series concludes. So um, I, I would be shocked if he's not at least a, a candidate. He should be a candidate. Yeah. He should win it. I think I, I believe he should win it. Uh, I think to leave him off would be ridiculous. So I, I absolutely will be upset if he is not considered a finalist. If he doesn't win it, I still think he should have. Um, but it goes back to what we've talked about with uh, can a reliever win that type of award, like reliever, uh, like rookie of the year, or even I mean, uh, that that just about never happens. And and that one I understand a little bit more. But rookie of the year, if Devin Williams doesn't win it this year, I, I'm not sure what a reliever could do to win it. Uh, but yeah, well deserved. Uh, like you mentioned, Williams winning the NL reliever of the year, and you touched a little bit on Liam Hendricks, the recipient for the AL reliever of the year. Uh, he also had a very good year, uh, second in war to Devin Williams, um, but lockdown reliever for the A's in the 25 innings that he pitched with a 1.78 ERA. Uh, so Hendricks winning the award for the AL. Uh, and then moving over to the comeback player of the year, uh, starting off in, again, the National League. We talked about Corbin Burns being left off of uh, the finalist list, which we both found very surprising because 
I thought Burns was a very strong candidate given his atrocious 2019 season um, and his dominant 2020 season. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the explanation exactly would be for him being left off, especially as a finalist. Uh, any thoughts on that? You know, I thought he should have been a finalist. Daniel Bard ended up taking home the award. I thought Bard was more deserving, even though Burns had like a bigger war increase, I guess, or he had a, a bigger improvement. Bard pitched for the first time in the major league since 2013. He overcame the yips, which for those of you who may not know that, it is basically when you are throwing and you overthink it and you're unable to throw strikes. You're unable to throw the ball where you want. And I think it's a very real thing. Rick Ankeel is the, the most famous victim of it. Chuck Knobloch also about 30 years ago. Daniel Bard was a, a victim of it, became a mental skills coordinator actually with the Angels. Mm. Then thought, well, I'm I'm coaching all these players. Maybe if if I can help them mentally, I can help myself mentally. Maybe I'm mentally strong enough to make it back. He did make it back with the Rockies. Put in a solid year as a relief pitcher, 3.65 ERA, struck out just over a batter an inning, uh, and was was a pretty stable presence in a, a Rockies ball club that was pretty up and down. He's 35 years old, and I thought that this was an incredible story. I thought that his the, the comeback player of the year honor was more than just uh, what you see on, on the stat line. That's what I was going to say. It, it, it depends how you interpret your your interpretation of the comeback player of the year. Because if you like you said, if you're looking at you know, a bad year last year, a good year this year, then Burns should have been the winner of the award. But like you said, Bard had half a win this year. Of course, didn't pitch last year in the major league. So um depends how you look at it. Uh, but a, a cool story still. I mean, seven years to be out of baseball. That That is sig- very significant. Think about where, whatever, think about where the world was in 2013. But just think about where baseball was it uh, in 2013. Uh, Juan Soto was to- 14. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, cool story for Bard. And uh, you were mentioning earlier before we got on the podcast, you know, Bard not playing for seven years, winning the NL Comeback Player of the Year award, and the AL Comeback Player of the Year award going to Carlos Carrasco, who uh, who had leukemia last year. Also a very good story. And uh, Carrasco making 12 starts for the Indians this year and putting up a very good year, 2.91 ERA, one and a half wins above replacement, uh, 68 innings for the Indians in the rotation. Um, Carrasco has had a, a very good career. Uh, I, I honestly didn't realize that he was already 33. Um, still feels like he's a, a younger arm for the Indians, but uh, a very good year for nonetheless for Carrasco. Uh, any thoughts to add there on the AL reliever of the year? Uh, excuse me, AL comeback player of the year? I thought it was an excellent choice. Again, it was a story that, that stretched beyond what you might see on baseball reference or on the back of his baseball card. Carrasco overcame a lot more than just poor performance like Corbin Burns did. And I thought that was extremely impressive. And I thought that that deserved, uh, that he deserved being awarded the comeback player of the year. Also, one thing to mention, the sporting news is actually who dictates who who wins comeback player of the year. So that is not an award that's voted on by the baseball writers, nor is the reliever of the year. That's voted on by uh, a variety of sources. I think part of it is statistical analysis. Um, part of it is players, managers, and coaches, and part of it is some former relievers. The awards are named after uh, two of the all-time uh, best relief pitchers. And those would be Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera, I'm assuming? That's correct. Trevor Hoffman, of course, yes. who played for the Brewers, who was a teammate of uh, Ryan Braun and Lorenzo Cain. 
I always <laughs> I always forget that he was a teammate of Lorenzo Kane. We were actually talking about that yesterday. Yeah. Um, but Kane, who is 34 years old already, uh, was a rookie in 2010 when Hoffman was still there, earned a 600 save. So a little bit of a connection there to even the current ball club, even if Braun leaves. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the Sporting News voting on, on, on these awards. Uh, so you really can't take too much stock in Williams winning the NL Reliever of the Year as far as how that would relate to Rookie of the Year because a lot of those would be different voters uh, and a different competition entirely, too. So we'll see about that. Uh, Gold Glove nominations were also announced. Uh, we don't need to go too too in-depth in there. No Brewers uh, were included. Uh, although you did tell me, uh, was it um, Tanaka or Maeda that you were telling me about on, on Twitter? Uh, that, yeah. I kind of have to share that story. That was kind of funny. Masahiro Tanaka tweeted Tanaka. tweeted uh, Gold Glove with, uh, with a crying emoji. He was not nominated. And then tweeted, I will continue to work on both my pitching and defense with some smiley face emojis. Um, I just thought it was kind of funny that uh, he put that on yeah. Twitter. Um, but... But yeah, he was not not nominated, nor was any Brewer, which is nothing new. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, there was really nobody. There was no one um, that I mean, maybe Keston here over at second. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brewers didn't really have anyone uh, in in consideration. Well, this year and I was really glad that Omar Narvaez was not nominated because Narvaez's <laughs> framing numbers and, and overall defensive metrics were pretty good. Like where he could have been nominated, but I mean, all it takes is watching like four innings of a game to know that Omar Narvaez is not a Gold Glove caliber catcher. Yeah, maybe yeah, he's better than yeah. he was last year, but he's not a good catcher defensively. So I was actually kind of relieved to see that they still use the eye test, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of the eye test, but in this case, I I I see the need for some of both. And even looking back, I mean, nine players in each league win a Gold Glove every year which means that statistically 60% of the time you're going to have a gold glove. So theoretically, the Brewers should have about 30 to 35 gold gloves in their history. Well, um, wait, wait, let me guess. They probably don't have 30 to 35. No. How many gold gloves do you think they have, <laughs> Peter, in their career, in their in their history? Uh, let's see. Well, the two most recent ones I can think of are Gomez and Kane. Um, I definitely could not name all of them. I'd say if you say 30 to 35 Brewers, probably, probably about – They'll maybe have about 10. Close, 11. Okay. Yeah, so good guess. And Carlos Gomez and Lorenzo Cain are the only Gold Glove recipients since they moved to the National League in 1997, um, before that that 98 season. Both center fielders, they really... I, and Cain might not have even been the best center fielder defensively last year. Um, he should have won in 2018, but he did not. Um, but That's right. I would say it is kind of surprising that those are the only two... Uh, but Yount won one gold glove in 1982. George Scott, uh, the five-time gold glove recipient as a member of the Brewers. Uh, thank you, yep. like 2014 bobblehead. I'm looking over at it right now. It's uh, sitting up in my room. Yep. Um, but that's a pretty oh, cool bobblehead, right. actually. Yeah, powder powder blue um, with the helmet. He would always wear uh, like the John Olerud uh-huh. style helmet at first base, um, like yep. the, the coaching helmet. And he's standing in the bobblehead with his gold glove stacked up. Um, and then Cecil Cooper won two in 79 and 80, and Sixto Lascano won in 1979. So just a handful of them for the Brewers. They have fared well a little bit better with the Silver Slugger. Maybe not quite as many as you would have hoped. Giovanni Gallardo being probably the best Silver Slugger recipient. Right. Or I think one that you might forget, Dave Parker actually, in 1990 won the Silver Slugger as a member of the Brewers at DH. 
Um, so I would not have guessed Dave Parker won a silver slugger with the Brewers. Uh, so I, I pretty interesting to see the breakdown. I, of course, the Brewers have not been a great franchise, but still a little bit surprising mm-hmm. to see their lack of awards on the gold glove side of things. And silver slugger awards have not been announced, but I can't imagine that the Brewers will have a silver slugger <laughs> award unless uh, they award one yeah. to whoever has the most strikeouts or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, we'd have the top two then, I think. But yeah, no, back to back to gold gloves and, and silver sluggers. Yeah, Brewers franchise haven't, hasn't been as good. And also, you got to think about the big city bias too. I don't think there's much of that, if any, now uh, with with the extent that numbers have gotten into baseball. But when you think back to 1970s baseball and limited TV viewing and that sort of thing, and I get that the writers travel more, watch more games, all of those things, but I do still think there would be some big city bias as well that the Brewers would probably fall victim to, maybe in a in a close race, uh, but nonetheless. Brewers not having a lot of, uh, of either of those awards. As we wrap things up towards the end of the episode, uh, we will have our random player of the day. So uh, today's player of the day, Hector Gomez. Some of you may remember him from his time as a member of the Brewers in both 2014 and 15 with the Brewers in two years. 81 games, actually 155 plate appearances only and a 177 batting average. Uh, so he actually hit I don't know if I'd say his his claim to fame, but almost maybe, because that's kind of what people remember him for. He had a triple and a home run off Kershaw in the same game. Speaking of Clayton Kershaw, and I think he, I I know at the time he was the only guy to ever do that, and I think he still is the only guy to do that. So, yeah, I believe so. So, yeah, that was, um, I I would say, a pretty noteworthy uh, thing for Hector Gomez. Um, And also, one thing to note, he was out of options that year in in 2015 um between july 3rd and july 22nd he had one at bat um so over a 19 game period they used him one time they were kind of stashing him because he was a former top prospect and they thought that maybe he'd be able to contribute a little bit and i do remember um this game in atlanta um i think this actually was the will smith pine tar game oh yeah um it was either that game or it was the Will Smith coming in to pitch when he wasn't warmed up game. It was one of those because I'm pretty sure both of them happened in Atlanta. Um, surprising that he would want to pitch in Atlanta now. Uh, but the game was spiraling yeah. out of control in uh, the sixth, uh, seventh inning after a surprisingly okay Matt Garza start. That was a uh, pretty few and far between. Um, and yeah. it was a routine ground ball to Hector Gomez to end the, end the inning, and he threw it over Adam Lynn's head. I remember watching that, and I was really upset with Hector Gomez. <laughs> I think I was doing homework at the time, and I went upstairs and threw my calculator against my bed because I was so frustrated <laughs> with the Brewers. Uh, 2015 did not go very well for the Brewers. And, you know, you wonder yeah. why when some of the guys they pitched, Matt Garza, Neil Kotz, Michael Blazek, um, and, and their lineup consisting of Hector Gomez, Gerardo Parra, who's Walsh. actually pretty good. Walsh was in 2016, actually. But Elian Herrera, okay. Juan Centeno, Luis That's Sardinas. Right. Yeah. So we've got some good Brewer names. Maybe some future random Brewer player of the days. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, but Hector go. Gomez is our player of today. Um, and he had a, a short run as, as a member of the crew. Yeah, Hector Gomez, I, I remember, uh, I think it was with the Brewers on deck. Uh, that we that we got yeah. uh, Gomez. I remember him signing autographs for free, and I was really bothered by the way he signed because he signed like sideways. It was a really bad autograph in a silver so, sharpie um, too on a card that you shouldn't yeah. have used a silver sharpie for. Right. Yeah, rookie mistake. 
mm-hmm. but and yeah, I mean that's what I probably that card would be numbers. worth at least forty five cents if he would have signed it well. That's true. That's true. He probably cost me at least fifty percent. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking he might have decreased the value of the card even by signing it. That, that's possible as well. It was a rookie card with the Rockies. True. But anyways, anyways, Hector Gomez. There's our random player of the day for today. Uh, our trivia question for today. Again, who has the lowest okay. career playoff ERA minimum twenty innings? So, David, your guess on this? I'm going to go with Mariano. I uh, I know he's pitched a lot in the postseason, so that might not bode well for him. We might have a guy who pitched like 20 innings um, in like the 1948 um, NLDS, which <laughs> didn't <that> exist. <laughs> didn't yeah. exist. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in some random playoff series that you forget, it was going to be like some random guy, like Braden Looper or some random guy that nobody cares about but my guess is mariano yeah mariano pitched over 140 innings which is which is crazy uh, more than a season you know as a reliever of course um and mm-hmm. he does hold that top spot uh, with the lowest career postseason era number two is uh harry so maybe I, he was he, oh he harry above uh he had 42 wins above replacement over his career so uh, mm. not a, not a nobody when did he play uh, he was uh, a left-handed pitcher uh for let's see in the 1940s and 50s for the Cardinals. Two-time All-Star, actually. Uh, kind of getting into a random player here. Hmm. Um, I was not familiar with him at all, but actually had a pretty good career. Um, yeah, his career ERA was... Let me make sure I'm seeing this right before I say the wrong thing. But it looks like, yeah, career career ERA of 2.92. Uh, so, hmm. very a very good, good left-hander yeah. uh, for yeah. the Cardinals. Debuting in 19... 19- Probably started like games one, two, four, five, seven yeah, in the World like Series that. or something, and that's how he was able to, three, to do only, that. Maybe only three complete games uh, in in the World Series for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah but uh, a very good career uh, for Harry Breeshin. Uh, there's a new name for you. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't heard of him, but number two all time in in postseason ERA behind, of course, the great Mariano Rivera with 0.7 ERA in 141 innings. In the playoffs, which is just astounding. Um, I mean, to imagine that in a regular season, uh, of course, it wouldn't be that many innings in, as a reliever in a regular season. But Mariano, uh, truly the best relief pitcher uh, of all time, and again, zero point seven ERA, uh, holding the top spot. I do have to say, number ten in that list is Blue Moon Odom. I just had to tell that because I had to share. Oh, yeah, yeah, Blue Moon uh, Odom. That one, you know the name more, but. Mm-hmm. No, I actually yeah, know yeah. who he I, is. I definitely yeah. have heard the name, um, probably because of his name. But I, he did have a good career. Seventies, eighties, yeah, yeah. as well. Uh, Babe Ruth, actually number four in postseason ERA as well, as well as Jeremy Affelt at number three. Wow. So hmm. Affelt, uh, that would have been yeah, very interesting. And Andrew Miller also cracks the top ten at number six. So a couple more recent uh, Southpaw relievers cracking the top ten there. Um, and then of course, just looking over, uh, Andy Pettit the leader in, in wins with 19 wins across 276 playoff innings. Of course, the 1990s Yankees, uh, Mariano, Pettit, Jeter, Posada, um, making a lot of appearances in the playoffs. That's all we have today. To wrap things up again, Dodgers up 3-2, heading into Game 6 of the World Series. Devin Williams uh, winning NL Reliever of the Year. Again, the, the third year the Brewers have won that award in a row. Uh, an incredible year from Williams and well-deserving for that award. Uh, and then covering all sorts of randomness, uh, including Hector Gomez, 
and Mariano Rivera holding the lowest postseason ERA. Uh, that's all we got. Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.